Good morning. Glad you're here with us this morning. We're in a presidential election year, and so politics are a big deal in our country right now. And we're launching a new series today we've called God and Politics. Charles M. Schultz of Peanuts comic fame said this. He said, there are three things I've learned never to discuss with people, religion, politics, and the great pumpkin. Um, Common wisdom says religion and politics should never be a topic of conversation. Uh, If you know the person extremely well, you might breach the subject. You might talk about it. It's sort of a a relationship test, kind of an informal, okay, do I know him well enough to start talking about what I think about these things? In this series, we're going to talk about politics, and we're going to talk about God's involvement in government. And the responsibility of Christ followers to use the power we have in our republic uh, to aim to influence for good. So we're going to look at these things. Scripture has a lot to say about these things, and I think you'll find it very, very helpful. Recently, uh, the unexpected passing of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia has caused a stir among politicians and those in government. He was a brilliant judge who made a contribution in his role in the court that was very, very significant. He was a devout Roman Catholic who was unflinching but equitable in his conservative approach to life and law. It is said that he could be withering in argument but was known as a jovial personality. His best friend on the court was likely its most liberal member, Judge Ruth Ginsburg. And uh, he, he said with brilliant clarity one time, I attack ideas. I don't attack people. And some very good people have some very bad ideas. And if you can't separate the two, you've got to get another day job. That's a great statement. In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at key perspectives and truths from Scripture that help us faithfully steward our right to vote and our right to influence our government. Because in our system, we have power. We have the right to set out to make a difference. We aren't going to attack anyone, but what our goal is, uh, we want to uncover the crystal clear direction that God gives for our involvement in, in government. In, in an election year, the conversation about issues ramps up in what they call the public square. And it can get tiring, it can create anxiety, we can get ramped up. But our system is designed for this. As, as, you, as your anxiety goes up and you get tired of hearing people argue <laughs> about things on, on the TV screen or wherever it is, remember this, our system is designed to have these discussions, maybe even loudly and energetically at times. Then we vote and we move on and we carry on with those who are elected. And so in this series, we'll see God's part in all this. What role is he playing in the election and in those who lead? 
Here's a series overview. This week, we're looking at One Hope. We're going to hear uh, more and more and more campaign promises that can ramp up our expectations and deal with our fears. Today, we're going to look at where do we go for help to make life workable and enjoyable. Next week, we're going to look at foundation. Government does well when it's grounded in transcendent laws and truth. History shows the decline and fall when a government floats around without the anchor of truth. Week three, we're going to look at our privilege. Christians are directed to influence society for good through our vote and other means available. And then week four, after the vote. What if your candidate doesn't get elected? How do we respond in faith? What does God expect of us as a follower of Christ? And how should we move forward? Candidates tend to look at what's going on in our country, the wrongs, what's going wrong, and they promise to fix it. This is the key to getting elected. They basically address the fears and concerns of voters and present their solution. Here's a graphic of domains of fear that Chapman University put together. It lists ten domains, big domains. First one, crime. Or I'll I'll start. I don't think they're in any kind of order, but there's crime, personal anxieties, judgment of others, which has to do with issues of race, gender identity, environment, concerns, fears over the environment, global warming, pollution are, are topics, daily life, just fears about daily life, romantic rejection, ridicule, technology. Artificial intelligence, what's that mean? You know, we, they, they make movies about this stuff. Cyber terrorism, uh, we're, we're not, it's, it's a little scary. Natural disasters, personal, our personal future is a domain of fear. Are we going to run out of money? Are we going to end up unemployed? Man-made disasters, another domain. Bio-warfare, terrorism. Uh, nuclear attacks, and then government, corruption, gun control, immigration issues. These fears provide the backdrop for campaigns. And the candidates aim their promises to show how their administration will do the most if they're elected to deal with the concerns and alleviate the fears. Here's a survey of the leaning candidates and I've chosen one of each of their promises just to just to look at for our discussion purposes this, this morning. And I had to shift one of the Republicans. I was I'm doing the top two candidates in each party. And one of the Republicans in the last week shifted. So I had to rewrite part of my message. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> but anyway, here's a survey. Marco Rubio, his his catchphrase is a new American century. Uh, he, he takes a stance, as you look at his website, uh, that ha- has the, this stance of guarding our freedoms with a promise to rebuild the country. And one of his promises is to build a full-spectrum force able to maintain security simultaneously in Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. You know, we're, we're concerned about war, about being attacked. So he's, he's addressing that. Donald Trump... Make America Great Again, Uh, he says, I will be the greatest job-producing president in American history. That's his promise. 
You know, we're afraid about unemployment. We get concerned. Hey, am I going to have a job if I lose my job? Well, if he's if he produces a lot of jobs, then maybe I can find another one a lot easier. Um, Bernie Sanders, expanding possibilities. He he's the promise I chose from him is on gun control. We need to make sure that certain types of guns exclusively used to kill people, not for hunting, should be sold in America. Every time there's a shooting, fears are ramped up. And so he's addressing that fear. Hillary Clinton. Um, Clinton vows to make America the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. And this is what she says. It's a longer quote. Future generations will look back and wonder, what were we thinking? How could we possibly be so irresponsible? I'm just a grandmother with two eyes and a brain, and I know what's happening in the world is going to have a big effect on my daughter and especially on my granddaughter. So you can see they're directly addressing our concerns and our fears, and they're making promises. And you can see how the fears and the future, the fears about the future, provide a a canvas for candidates to carry out their campaigns. As, As the promises are made over time, an expectation grows. You, could you move that off the screen? Because I don't want to give any candidate more time than they should get. I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. I thought it might still be up there. I, I, you know, don't want to do that. Um, anyway, uh, as, as promises are made, our, our expectations can grow over time. Maybe this person really can fix the country. And there's something in us where we, we really want someone to fix it. And we get caught up in it. Every major candidate has supporters that work hard at ramping up expectations. And they create the sense, they're aiming to create this sense that all our hopes ride on this person right here. If they're elected, they're going to fix what's broke. We aren't first people to, to live in a broken world. Uh, the first country to live with a broken world and broken system. We certainly aren't the first to want someone to take office and bring real change. You find the same pattern in Scripture in the Bible. People want to find someone they can trust to fix the problems. This, this is the way we tend to be as people. However, we need to put our hope in God who always keeps his promises. Psalm 146 is, is a praise song, psalm. It's a praise song about the greatness of God, and it's helpful to remember the perspective you find in this scripture as you're surveying the course of history, as you were experiencing history in our country, and as we deal with all the campaign promises and the trajectory that things are going. It, this psalm lifts our eyes above the fray of politics. To look beyond. It begins with praise, and then it gives a warning about misplaced trust. It says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. The psalmist goes on from here to to make sense of why we shouldn't put our trust in princes, in, in men and women. 
in those who find themselves in a powerful position or they seek powerful positions. And the reason is presidents and politicians come and go. Psalm 146, put not your trust in princes and a son of a man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. He's saying, don't don't put your hope and trust in an earthly leader. Earthly rulers and presidents don't live forever. That powerful person who might be elected is just one breath away from the grave where they will be no help at all. Even the phrase son of man reminds us of their weakness. It's the word in Hebrew in this psalm, originally written in Hebrew, is Adam or Adam. Adama. It's from the word Adama, which is dirt. (laughs) That's what it it means. Uh, Adama is dirt. All men will someday return to the ground from whence they came. That's, That's what the psalmist is saying here. It underscores the weakness of even the strongest and most powerful leader. They may be in power today, yet a corpse tomorrow. So if we trust them, it's just a fleeting source of encouragement. Because this is a a reality we can't afford to get swept up in the promises of our politicians. The psalm goes on to contrast the Lord... The, the God of the universe with the princes. God keeps every promise forever. Every promise. Blessed is he whose help is God is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. God never goes back on his word. He always keeps his promise. I I like the New Living Translation's uh, rendition of this passage. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. God stands by all his promises. Put your hope in him. When we trust fully in God, he'll be our support through circumstances. Every circumstance, every season of life. Whether or not our country goes down the drain or whether the trajectory turns the other way, God holds this in his hands. Through downturns in the economy, when terror strikes, when leaders collapse and die, God will be faithful. And he can be trusted. This reminds us of a key perspective in the midst of uncertainty and fear, and it's where the psalmist takes us next. We trust God for our well-being, not the government. Verse 7 through 9 say, Trust in God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Now here we see people in need and how the Lord is watching over And will care for them, those who trust him, those who've given their life to him. Christ followers in need must trust God, not the government, for help. He may use the government to help at times, but our hope, we have to be careful 
Our hope is in God, not in the government, not in what is going on in our system. We hope in him, we pray, we wait on God, who is working to make things right and to meet our need. Our hope is beyond this country and another country, in a heavenly country, that is eternal. And when God wraps up history, all things will be made right before him. And they'll be way beyond good for those who trust in him. This is our hope. Not, not right here. Not right here. Not in this country. Not in this government. But our hope is in God, who is guiding history to accomplish his purposes. And he promises to make eternity good for those who trust him, who give their lives to him. Chapman University gave us a landscape of things we fear most in America. And we, we all have our personalized set of fears. You know, <laughs> things, experiences that go on, things that are happening in our lives. We, we have our own set of fears. But I'd like to hit the pause button for a moment and ask, what is it that we're really afraid of? What is it that you're really afraid of? What, what are your, your own personal set of fears that you deal with? Many of our fears about the election are tied to our comfort level and our dreams. What, what if we aren't able to fulfill our dreams? What if we can't live the life that we want to live? What if that's taken away from us? The society we live in greatly impacts or it, it impacts our lives, the, the freedom that we have to live the way we'd like to live. And politics has a way of pushing that button over and over again. Hey, I'm going to help you have the life you want. I'm going to help you live for your dream. This, this, is, this is what happens. Campaigns promise things will get better all the time. Never a things will get worse. Can you imagine running a things are going to get worse campaign? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Hey, vote for me. It's all going downhill, but I'm going to enjoy the ride with you. It's, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, you don't, you don't hear that. The promises are, hey, we're going this direction. We don't want worse. We don't want to vote for somebody who's... Maybe dealing with reality. <laughs> we worry over questions like, what if my freedoms are taken away? What if life gets harder? What will it be like for my kids and their kids if we continue in this direction? Good people are concerned about future generations. That's why Clinton tapped into that. The reality is we, we have no firm answers about how the future is going to play out in our country or in our lives personally. No firm answers. We're not quite sure. This is why knowing God, who doesn't change and has the future in his hands, is the one real hope that we have. When you become a Christian, you... You, you hand your life over to Christ. You, you've decided, God, I've, I've tried it my way. I, I've been living independent of you. And I'm going to 
turn from going my way. I'm going to do a 180, and I'm going to give my life to you, and I'm going to begin to, to follow you. And then daily you keep handing your life over to him. As the anxieties ramp up, as the fears strike, you keep giving, you keep giving things to him. You hand all your fear to him. This passage, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. We, we cast it on him. And for me, this means several times a day. <laughs> As fear wells up, anxieties begin to creep. God, here it is. I trust you with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rely on you. I take my fears of the unknown to the Almighty God who holds history in his hands. I trust him. Practically, the best step to take when we're overwhelmed with anxiety or just a little bit in anxiety is decide that you will trust God even if the worst happens. Followers of God throughout centuries have been faced with terrible cultural and political realities. You find many examples of people in Scripture who have served under foreign kings, oppressive leaders, and in the middle of all of that, they've been treated unjustly, uh, brutally even at times. And in the middle of, of all that, they've trusted God. In Deuteronomy 31, you see Moses, who's led the people out of Egypt and to the edge of the promised land, the land that God promised to give to Israel. He's handing his leadership over to Joshua. So he assembles the Israelites and He tells them what to expect as they cross the Jordan to the promised land that God's going to give them that they're going to have to fight for. This is the way it is. (laughs) In this world, we fight to claim the promises of God. And so Moses is helping them get ready for what's about to happen. They're going to face hardship. They're going to face war. They're going to experience all kinds of things. Things are going to change. He says, life isn't going to get easier for most of you. This is the reality. Their lifelong leader, Moses, whom they've grown to trust, was going to die. A new leader is coming. They would be fighting battles to inherit the land from the enemies. That they're brutal, savage people. Horrendous nations. They're going to go to war with these these people. And this is what he says. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Moses gave this timely word to remind them. As things were about to drastically change. They had changed from Egypt. They were in the wilderness. They stayed there 40 years. They're about to go to battle to claim the promise of God. This is what he says. God is your only hope, and he's going to go into the battle with you. And you can rely on him as you face your fears and as you deal with the anxiety that comes up in battle. What a timely word. When when you face the worst-case scenario... And when we face it in our country, in our society, and even in our lives, remember this. 
God will never leave you or forsake you. He, he's right there. He's aware of what's going on. He, he's, he's going to use even the worst things for his purpose. And if you've decided to follow Christ, what you've done is you've given yourself to him to make yourself available to be used for his purpose, whatever that means. Well, whatever it calls for. Against this backdrop of fears and concerns in our political landscape here in the United States, God still brings help and hope. No matter what happens, he's right here with us. This allows us to be strong and courageous and not shrink back from our role in our country, from doing what God has told us to do. Why is that? God doesn't have a four- or eight-year term. He can't be voted in or out. He can't be bought. He can't be influenced by lobbyists. He, he is the eternal God who created this world for his own purpose, and he's, he's trying to draw people into a relationship with him and make it good for them. But he gives us that choice. We, we get a vote <laughs> in whether or not we're going to follow God, whether or not we're going to trust him in the worst circumstance. We decide whether we're going to lean on him or we're going to lean on ourselves. Remember the last statement of Psalm 146, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. He, he's reigning. His help and his hope can be experienced right now and for generations to come. If things get worse, God will be there in that time, just like he was for the Israelites as they went up against the Jordan River and about to cross it into the battle. When you, when you get into fear and anxiety about what's going to happen next, pray. Ask God for help. Don't, don't allow yourself to spiral into fear so that you get overwhelmed by it. But stop before you go there. Keep casting your anxiety on him. If you do feel hopeless, admit it to God. God, I, I'm not walking by faith. Help me in my unfaith. Help me to walk with you. Help me to trust you. And declare that you'll trust him even if the worst happens. Pray for God's will to be done in our country through whatever leaders gain power. Shift from worrying and complaining about our country to praying for our country. When you get disappointed in the latest polls or the direction of our country, put up a shield of faith. Declare, God will not rip me off. No matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances are, even in the midst of a corrupt government, God will not rip us, rip us off. Even if the election doesn't go the way I want, he, he's in charge. He's in control. Remind yourself, God will take care of me. That's the message of Psalm 146. He will not leave me. He reigns forever. And he will do what is right and just and loving toward me. 
I, I can completely trust him. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to pull the connection card uh, out of your program that you began to fill out earlier in the service. I'd like to also ask our, our worship team to come back up on stage, if they would, or get prepared to, and the ushers to prepare to receive this morning's offering. Please take this time to finish completing any information that you haven't had an opportunity to, or I'm going to suggest a couple of next steps that you may want to take. When the offering comes around and the ushers bring it by, you can drop that card in the offering. Uh, Here are my suggested next steps. First one, pray three to four times a week before the election that God's will be done in our country through our, our leaders. Just make that a matter of prayer, that God would work. God responds somehow. It's sort of a mystery, but I don't, I don't know how, but God responds as we pray. He works. He's given us that responsibility. That's one of our main responsibilities in, uh, related to our government is to pray, to pray for the king, it says in Scripture, or the president, or those who are over us. So pray. That could be a next step. Second, attend the rest of the series would be another thing to do. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in Scripture that enlightens us. It, 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 it shows us, God, what, what it is that you are doing as we're experiencing life on this earth and how you're working to accomplish your purpose and your will. Help us, Lord, more and more to trust you with our lives. Help us to lean on you and rest in you and rely on uh, your, your leadership and guidance and help us to put our hope in you. We ask for this help and the strength to take the next steps that you've laid on our heart in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to ask Matt Sturdivant to join me up here for a moment. Matt Sturdivant is the executive pastor of Hope Church in Fort Worth, and he has a presentation to make. They included us, Hope Church included us, in their Christmas offering this year. And uh, that's the church that Cindy and I, my son Thad, uh, came out of in 1987 to start Church in the Valley. And so um, just I'm extremely grateful that uh, Hope's included us in the offering. And Matt has a presentation to make for us this morning. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited that uh, I get to represent Hope Church. So uh, as I uh, share a few things with you. I'm going to say we, and the we is collectively Hope Church. Uh, so years ago, Hope uh, Hope Church in Fort Worth, Texas, rejoiced when Randy and Cindy uh, left Hope and were called here to California to uh, build the work that is Church in the Valley. Uh, we've seen the team gather and labor together uh, to honor Christ here in Diamond Bar, uh, and we've seen you work hard and endure over the years. Uh, We've rejoiced as you sent some people out to to start Chico Community Church in Northern California and to start Pierpoint in Huntington Beach. Uh, You also worked to train and sacrifice uh, to put together a team and money to start uh, Orange Crest Community Church in Riverside. 
And then more recently, the Alhambra campus. As you've worked together uh, to put the Alhambra campus together, uh, we have watched you all this time as you were working together. While you're doing these things, you're building community, uh, doing outreach, and building the church here in uh, Diamond Bar. And as Paul said uh, about the church in uh, the Thessalonian church, in 1 Thess 1-3, he says, We have seen your hard work produced by your faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we've been watching you from afar, from Fort Worth, Texas, um, it seemed like uh, the Lord wanted us to be a part of helping you as you're now in the early stages of locating property and finding property, and, and then uh, there'll be some financial need uh, as you locate that property. So our people uh, at Hope sacrificed to put together our annual Christmas offering. It seemed like the Lord wanted us to give a large portion of that Christmas offering to Church in the Valley. So uh, today it is our delight as Hope Church, and it is my uh, great privilege as, uh, as I'm here representing Hope uh, to present to Church in the Valley a check for $101,000 and $500 to put towards your building fund. Thank you. We, uh, we want to make this, uh, this gift to Church in the Valley in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're delighted to see uh, what he will do uh, in the months to come. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Appreciate that. You're um, this gift is a major encouragement from Harold called me in December and he said that we were going to be a part of the Christmas offering <clears throat> and I was immediately strengthened by just the fact that they would include us first of all <clears throat> I consider it one of the gifts from God and one of my greatest privileges to, to know Harold. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to try to pull it together and talk. To know Harold and to be a part of the stream of ministry that has come out. Well over 100 churches have started out of Hope Church. So um, I, I can't tell you how strengthened I am and how encouraged I know we all are by uh, this expression of kindness and love and confidence, really. We, so what this means overall for us as a congregation is we announced in June uh, to the leadership community that we were going to begin a building.